music's on, the disco ball has dropped, and it's time to get this party started. You're listening to episode 16 of Disco Trek, a Star Trek Discovery After Party podcast here on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. I'm your host, Heather Barker, and with me at the turntable is my favorite Gorn and favorite Jeff, my co-host, Jeff Hewlett. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well, Heather. My universal translator is fully functional, so I am speaking English. Thank goodness. You look pretty green tonight. Are you feeling well? Actually, no. I haven't been feeling well <laughs> since Saturday. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, I had a bit of, uh, I think I had some food poisoning. And, uh, oh, no. Yeah, I've been having some issues since then, but I'm better than I was on, uh, on Saturday. So uh, fingers crossed. Think- yeah, I don't think we know what Gorn ate, so I'm not sure what you ate. Hopefully it wasn't Kelpian. I don't want to tell everyone out there what Gorn actually ate. It's a little disturbing. But not Kelpian, right? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, thank goodness. Otherwise, I'd kick you off the podcast. Although the ganglia okay. do taste good. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the podcast, we're a community-based Star Trek discotheque of sorts, focusing on each episode of Star Trek Discovery as they air. However, considering that the series has now wrapped, tonight we'll be discussing the series in its entirety in this first episode of our Star Trek Discovery series retrospective. This will be part one, da, 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 followed by I don't know how many more. You'll just have to wait and see. With us to talk about the season are two members of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook, which is the exclusive gateway to get admission onto the show. Our first guest was one of our first guests, <laughs> and we are so glad to have her back. Welcome back, Marina Kravchuk. It's great to have you. It's wonderful to be back. It's kind of thrilling that, you know, I was there when the podcast started and I'm here to kind of nicely bookend it, you know, at least for the season one. So great. Thank you for having me. It's perfect. We decided to open the show back up to everybody uh, for these retrospective episodes. And I I could not have asked for a better better guest. Um, So we're so happy to have you. Our next guest... Might just be a captain. We'll find out a little bit about that. He is Stuart Foley. Stuart, welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, most people know me as Captain Foley from the web series Trek Yards. We're over on YouTube. If you just type in Trek Yards, all one word, you'll find us. We got multiple episodes. We just talk about ships and tech from Star Trek. And lately, we've done all the uh, reviews for every episode of Discovery as well. So lots of great stuff on there all the time. Very cool. I know that I, this this whole season of Discovery, I've been like listening to podcasts and watching as much as I can. So it's a great place to get more Discovery fix. Awesome. All right. We're going to hop into our discussion of the season here in just a moment. But first, we have some announcements from the DJs. As we mentioned, Disco Trek is a community-focused podcast evolved from our desire to give fans in our convention community a way to talk about Star Trek Discovery. To enter for your chance to join us, make sure you're a member of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook Once you do that, you'll see a new post every Tuesday with the Disco Trek image and information on the following week's recording time. Just comment on that post to be entered, and we'll use a random generator to pick two winners the following Saturday. The good news now is that if you've already been on the podcast, you can come back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're doing a couple retrospective episodes, and then we're going to do some deep dive into characters 
we're, we're keeping Disco Trek going as long as possible because I think there's still a lot to talk about. Uh, and that way we don't miss Discovery too much. In the meantime, Jeff, do you want to tell people a little bit about how they can still have a voice if they don't make it onto the podcast? Sure thing, sure thing. So if you want to get your comments on the show, we do have a voicemail box, and you can leave us an up to two-minute voicemail by dialing 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. And I promise no one will pick up the phone when you call. It is a Google voicemail box, so don't worry. Feel free to call and leave your voicemail messages, and we will play them live on the show. And we actually have another one to play at the end of this episode. Sweet. I'm excited to hear it. All right. Well, I think our Patreon family has grown a little bit this week. Do you want to tell us who we've uh, added? It sure has. We've added two new patrons, and thank you both. First, we've added Rianne Fox, who came to us via Politrex. And also, uh, we also have another Patreon patron by the name of Patrick Escudero, and I think you know him, Heather. I do. I just had to send a special shout out to Patrick. He has been a very generous and wonderful friend throughout um, my personal life struggles, which people know a little bit about. Um, so we are so excited to finally have him become part of the Patreon family. Thank you so much, Patrick and Rianne. Welcome to the group. Yeah. And that, well, obviously, you know, if you're listening to this, and you just heard the last minute or two, we do have a Patreon page. You can find it by going to patreon.com slash the tricorder transmissions or by visiting our website, the tricorder transmissions.com and clicking the big orange Patreon link in the upper right hand corner. So if you enjoy what we do here on Disco Trek or any of our other tricorder transmission shows, please think about joining our Patreon family. Becoming a patron will give you instant access to our unedited episodes right after we record them, often with some bonus material before and after. For instance, the show that you're listening to right now would be available for Patreon patrons later that evening after we recorded it, so you'd have access to it a lot sooner. And we also, speaking of Patreon uh, rewards, we're going to be having a Patreon group chat that we're going to be recording uh, next weekend, and I'm sure we'll be doing... This weekend... Oh my God! This well, weekend, the twenty fourth. The weekend's coming up, so I considered it next, but okay, just <laughs> this weekend coming up. But yeah, and um, you know, we we are probably going to do more of those types of things uh, in the future as we uh, push Disco Trek into the future. So uh, look for the unedited version of that show if you're a Patreon patron. We'll air exclusively that evening after we're done recording it. Exciting times. Mm -hmm. We are super grateful for everyone um, that joins our Patreon family. It doesn't matter if you donate a dollar a month or $10 a month. We appreciate your generosity and your support regardless. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now that we've talked about all that fun stuff, it's time to talk about the season, the first season of Discovery. Please keep in mind that from this point forward, there will be spoilers. Like, if you haven't watched it, what are you doing here, guys? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just be aware of that black alert. Our show is a general discussion about this season, but it is still segmented into three parts. The first is Drop the Record, where we'll be talking about our overall reaction to the first season of Star Trek Discovery. 
play a new track is where we're going to talk about what we learned new about the Star Trek universe. I think it's still important to talk about what Star Trek Discovery has brought to the Star Trek universe overall. Uh, there's certainly many examples of that, so we're excited to talk about it. And then spinning again will be our look back at standout moments, scenes, characters, basically our favorite parts of the series of season one. So let's go ahead and get the party started. Let's drop the record. So since she was our first guest, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask her first. Marina, what is your reaction to this first? season of star trek discovery in two words first i wanted to say one word but it's actually two words very satisfying um i remember when i you know on one hand it was extremely exciting when the whole thing was starting up yes star trek is back on tv and all these new things and uh i do remember being partly apprehensive because well i'm going to be very frank i actually i am one of those fans who i'm not particularly enamored with the time frame that the series was set in so mm-hmm. that was kind of like one of those red flags that just kept popping up every time there was a discussion about this um so uh there was a little bit of awareness but at the same time there's the excitement you know there's a new thing that's happening so uh the you know it caught me all you know, almost at the at once, I would say, because there was enough going on. I mean, obviously, beginning first three episodes is basically we have so much stuff crammed in because you have to launch all these characters and you have to explain, uh, you know, give all these little backstory hints and what's going on and just launch the story, uh, the the entire arc for the season. Uh, so it, it became sort of like, okay, I, I can see what what's happening. I'm curious what's going to happen next, and I can can sort of see this thing coming, and then I see the resolution of this little twists forming so it kind of kept going so even though there were things that i'm like well i'm not quite sure what they're doing or this thing is kind of creaky i don't particularly like it overall this entire arc of the season i felt was very solid science fiction it was very cinematic it really in an extremely solid first season so that's my overall opinion on that awesome Stuart. what about you hmm well, it's first of all, getting to have Star Trek back in any form. I love Star Trek in all its iterations. Um, but I mean, I think overall, I kind of got uh, moments from the series or the season that I really enjoyed. Um, as a whole series or a season, it doesn't really hold up for me too much. There's, I think, kind of disjointed storytelling going on. A lot of story elements that kind of go nowhere and then new ones get picked up and ones that you think are really important kind of fall to the wayside. Like black just badges. Seems... <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. It just seems like a a product of kind of playing catch up with uh, the script because I know they had to kind of scramble after Brian Fuller left to change things up a little bit, uh, how they kind of worked backwards from the last scene. And I think that kind of shows. Yeah. Um, and I think the problem with it not being episodic and being serialized storytelling is, I mean, you look at the other Star Trek series and season one is always weak. Deep Space Nine, TNG, you watch back, watch those back and they're kind of cringeworthy. And because it's episodic, though, there's those ones that stand out that are really fantastic. Mm-hmm. This, because they were trying to tell a whole overarching story, it didn't really f- get that for me. I mean, there were one or two things that stood out. But overall, I think it was just kind of a... It lacked focus, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, looking yeah. back on this after seven seasons of Discovery, we'll probably go, oh, yeah, they did improve. But I think that's where I stand with it. It's just it needs to 
kind of sit back and kind of get its focus a little bit better. I'm actually curious, something something that you did mention about them sort of like uh, engineering it because Brian Fuller left. I, I read in one of the um, interviews with one of the creators saying that they basically had to reverse engineer. They knew where they wanted to end up. And then mm-hmm. they kind of went backwards through the entire season to kind of, you know, f- see what things they had to tell in order mm-hmm. to get to that point. And I'm curious if that is actually sort of the symptom of that. If, you know, in, if they don't approach the second season writing in the same fashion, perhaps it's not going to feel as disjointed as it did because i do agree with that there are certain there are at least three episodes that for me i'm like i i they kind of they, they stopped the flow of the entire narrative they they should probably mm. the great episodes i enjoyed them but they they kind of they did not fit into overall fabric is, is that like magic is that like the mud episode that episode i literally i was sitting there were moments when i was laughing out loud and then there are certain moments where i'm like well this is actually a nice way the way they kind of make the crew work together and they don't actually show the same thing over and over again so it was a fun episode but yeah. you know between the episode before that and the episode that followed it just kind of like well we just had a space whale i don't that's, that's basically that's it <laughs> And th- and there were some there were some standout scenes, some standout uh, character dialogue that was very well written, very well acted, but where they placed it in certain episodes, it just really ruined the flow of the episode. It just seemed a little out of place, and it didn't really stand up to some of the other writing that was maybe in the same episode even. But there were some fantastic moments for sure. So I think it's really interesting that we're bringing up the fact that the season was kind of written backwards which I didn't I didn't know and then a friend of mine who's not like super hardcore he doesn't do a Star Trek podcast like me but he's still a Star Trek fan and was asking my opinion and he brought that up and I was like what I didn't know that where did they say it was written backwards and I guess they mentioned it on After Trek which I only watched part of the last one but I think when Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg were on for the second half of the show Um, they specified that. So one of the things they said is like, we knew we wanted the enterprise to show up. And I'm curious what you guys think about the fact that in the first season of discovery, like the biggest thing they knew was that they wanted the enterprise to show up at the end. Marina, how do you feel about that? (laughs) I hope people don't throw things at me because I have to say that that was my least favorite thing in the uh, finale. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of, aside from the fact that I had an inkling that somehow this is the last, well, we know this is the last episode, that this is the finale of the season. Something's going to happen that's going to bring us in contact with the original series one way or another. It's just uh, an internal feeling. I don't know. I, I, I admit most of the twists that were happening, I kind of figured them out as the season went on. And then the moment I saw NC17, I'm like, oh, you got it be kidding me um <laughs> basically my overall thing is that um crossovers are wonderful it's great when you have a cameo from one series to another it brings this cohesiveness to the entirety of star trek universe they all exist in one place wonderful thrilling fan service all that but in this case we're establishing star trek discovery it's their adventure uh i'm not quite sure i want big e to be poking its head into it so i'm very very cautious i'm well the creators proved that they can handle this sort of thing i think um at least the way you know sarik is in the first season you know he's not really he's very organically part of it so i hope that in the second season whatever the beginning is when we get in contact with captain pike 
I just hope it's going to be this brief blip and then discovery goes on on its adventure and, you know, you don't get another, uh, you know, iconic uh, starship basically yeah. guest starring <laughs> in different series. Yeah. Stuart, what did, what did you think about the fact that they like based everything on seeing the Enterprise at the end? Well, first of all, I called that like three weeks in advance on our <laughs> show. I was saying we're going to end up with Go the Enterprise showing up. Uh, so I was very excited when I saw it. I saw the Red Bizarre collectors in the distance, and I just Thompson kind of welled up a little bit, and it was just awesome. And it was it's a fantastic redesign. Yeah. Um, doesn't oh, necessarily yeah. doesn't necessarily fall into you know established canon for the timeline, but whatever. It would it would make would have made an awesome JJ prize. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, now I'm I'm very much a fan of this era, like the TOS era. So when I first heard that they were doing this, I got super excited. Um, and then I think because of a lot of missteps, I guess you could say, and fan backlash because of those. For example, the Klingons um, and a lot of the visuals with the interiors and, and some ship designs. I think because of that, they kind of dropped us these little breadcrumbs to say, here you go. You know, it's almost like we have Stockholm Syndrome. Um, you know, <laughs> they've let us down so many, many times in so many ways in certain aspects that when they do something right, like the steady eels in the last episode that are frying on the pan or whatever, those little nods, we're like, oh, thank you so much. That was so awesome. <laughs> uh, so I think I think the Enterprise was kind of that for the fans. It's that breadcrumb that here you go. Look what we have. It exists in this universe. Now, whether you were going to see it a lot in season two, I don't know. But yeah, we'll see. One of those those drops like here it is it exists you know what the constitution class looks like now shut up <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so jeff i did not intend to skip over you um but I tell didn't. us a little bit no i didn't <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about your reaction to this season and then what you think about the the enterprise being kind of like the pivotal point and how they design the season sure perfect segue um so overall i'm pretty happy with the majority of discovery season one although i think i've said this a few times on disco trek in the past i'm a it's a little bit darker than i would prefer from star trek but i understand that's what today's audiences expect so i've, I've kind of accepted that i think there was enough there to keep uh, at least a good portion of the existing fan base happy while potentially looping in new viewers um cbs all access notwithstanding and, you know, of course, you can never please everyone uh, with a Star Trek series, but I think they did a pretty good job balancing it out. Uh, we did get some really good character arcs over the course of the season, although there was some disjointed storytelling, as uh, our two guests have already pointed out. Um, but I think there was some good room in there for development leading into the next season, uh, although it's a shame we lost Leather Jacket Lorca. I was a big fan. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can see a future episode where Prime Lorca is found in a cargo container or something. No, so he, I, he very I, well may resurface. It's so, uh, what's the word? Uh, on one hand, oh my God, Jason Isaacs. I actually had a chance to meet him at Rhode Island Comic Con. <gasps> he's he's amazing. He, it's, he's great. But on the other hand, he's a high profile actor. And I have a feeling yeah. that just by virtue of that, it's like, no, we, you know, if we see Prime Lor Lorca somehow, maybe it will be somebody's flashback or something. Oh, but not Marina, an actual. Don't, don't, don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, what else? Oh, but it you would know be what? funny, but uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but in one of the after tracks, and uh, I'm actually quoting from something that somebody said, because I, I admit I have not 
watched after tracks i usually just read the wonderful summaries that both track core and track movie do um didn't alex kurtzman actually when somebody said well who's the who's the new captain and he said something along the lines that you know it's lucius malfoy i'm like well was that a joke was that actually some sort of an implication that maybe it's prime lorca I don't remember that. Mm. I might have been like looking at Twitter or something. I did watch that episode when he was on, but I don't remember what he said yeah. specifically. But bottom line is, I just feel that, you know, I have a feeling that they, they, they're probably very happy that they managed to get Jason Isaacs for as long as they could. But yeah, I, I doubt that he would be uh, willing to go on uh, on a rather regular basis for, I don't know, how many years that we'll have of the uh, series. Well, who knows? Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens when we'll the see. second season yeah. airs. But a um, couple more things. So the visual quality of this series, I think, is unparalleled in televised Trek. I, it was impressive to see movie quality Star Trek on the um, – I hesitate to say the small screen because I don't think anybody <laughs> has small screens anymore. <laughs> so maybe medium Well, I watch screens. on my iPhone, so technically that's Oh, my screen. God. You watch yeah. one on your iPhone, Marina. Yeah. I'm disappointed yeah. in you. No, you know, by the, by that time that the, it airs, I'm kind of – getting ready to go to bed and I'm comfortable and, you know, nice and I have my phone and that's it. Uh, yeah. All right. So to segue into the, the whole enterprise thing, I, I'm definitely looking forward to next season and, uh, you know, seeing the enterprise show up makes me very hopeful. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some familiar characters and potentially some new ones, but you know, as a, as a TOS guy who grew up watching syndicated TOS, um, Thinking back to, I mean, way before The Cage actually aired on television, I remember the menagerie and seeing Captain Pike and, you know, that that little bit of an adventure over that two-parter made me really curious as to the past uh, history of the Enterprise prior to Kirk. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. I mean, you know, I'm sure they won't have... You know, Pike and the Enterprise be part of the, of the entire second season, but I'm looking forward to seeing just some little bit of uh, more history as to what was going on in the Enterprise prior to Kirk's captaincy. And um, I don't know. I I think I brought this up on the last disco track, and I, it was really quickly talked about and, and and moved on from. But I'm wondering how they're going to recast Spock if he's on the bridge. Uh, well, give so Zach Quinto was... all of my CBS no. Alexis money. Yeah, no. Um, I was listening to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, uh, today. And actually, I do recommend their episode. Um, it's it's February 19th when we record this. And the episode was released either last night or today. And it has an interview with Sonequa Martin-Green and Anthony Rapp. And then uh, Matt Myra, the host of After Trek. And I thought that, that this episode was Worth listening to, um, if anything, for Sonequa and Anthony's comments. But um, now I'm losing my train of thought. We're talking about Spock. Yes, Spock. Thank you. Three, two, one. And so Matt Mira, Myra, Matt Myra, dropped the nugget talking about um, the whole, what is it, Viacom, Comcast, not, not Comcast, CBS. The fact that CBS they they can't they can't combine them because of how everything has worked out and I know there was some chatter about um, I get all the network stuff like they were going to try to com- like buy out and have CBS and Paramount combined or something yeah there are talks yeah. right now that they possibly may 
reunite, so to speak. Um, and I don't, they didn't really talk about that in depth, but just because of the CBS v Paramount issue that they would not have Zachary Quinto come back yeah. as Hawk. So my, my hope, like, it was funny because today I actually, I, I watched The Cage last night and I was thinking, who would I want to be Pike? And so my my personal choice is Michael Shannon. Um, there's there's a physical similarity, but it's not just that. I just think he's a phenomenal actor, and he was just in Shape of Water with uh, Doug Jones, and I I think he would be great and all. But um, I think I would just prefer, especially with Spock, that they just recast the actor and not have Zachary Quinto, not have some kind of CGI Leonard Nimoy. Please do not. I do not. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I think it would be great if they they do recast him. And I, I, I expect to see Spock because Alex Kurtzman did say in that After Trek interview that they have questions to answer regarding the Burnham-Spock relationship. So I fully expect to see him in, in some way. Um, and I just, I hope that they find, you know, not, not necessarily a no name actor, but maybe somebody not as, as well known or something to play the role of Spock. And then we'll, we'll see about Pike, but, um, but overall I'm kind of in the same camp as everyone else here. Um, I, there are certainly growing pains that I've expressed over the last Mm. 15 episodes of Disco Trek. Um, Some of my grievances, and a lot of that is actually more towards storyline than anything else and handling certain issues that I'm just very passionate about, um, like Dr. Colbert (laughs) and the Mm. sexual assault. And these these are just things that apply to me as a person and my daily life. And so, um, as I said in our last episode, like I am truly grateful for everything that the writers and actors have done to bring things like gay characters and PTSD and the subject of sexual assault question mark onto Star Trek. But I feel that there was, it wasn't, done up to expectations of what I think that 2008 well 2017/18 Star Trek should be mm-hmm. and then storylines I I've, I've kind of talked about like I loved Laurel <laughs> and I I wasn't thrilled um with how everything played out for Laurel I mean I'm glad that she's now the the Klingon Emperor, I guess, but but still, um, there were some issues there. So definitely storyline, but overall, like I'm I'm happy with the season. Uh, Star Trek Discovery, and I'll talk about this at the end of the show, um, has become a very uh, how do I say this? So Polarizing. This, no, no. Um, for me personally. My life has changed drastically along with the the timeline of of Star Trek Discovery. So it's become a very personal thing for me, as Star Trek always has been, but now so even more. Um, so despite the fact that I have some some qualms and I think that 
there are definitely some growing pains in this first season. Um, it has been the background of my life during a very difficult point in my life. And I think that I can say, I think I can say this. And I said this earlier in the season that Star Trek Discovery was my Star Trek. And I think that just because of the role that it's played in my life through what I'm going through personally, it will probably always be my Star Trek because of this, despite its flaws. Um, and I'll talk about that more later. But um, as far as the Enterprise, I was kind of disappointed to learn that like, they had the Enterprise in mind the entire season. <laughs> um, like I said last last episode, like when we saw the Enterprise, I, I was super excited and like having a geekgasm, I'll call it. But at the same time, giving it side eye, because I'm like, really, do we really need this? I feel like Star Trek Discovery really needs to stand on its own two feet. Um, it doesn't need the Enterprise. However, I reading the books, um, Desperate Hours and Drastic Measures, I like how the the Enterprise has played into those books. So at the same, like, I kind of, I'm like, okay, well, we'll see. But I think it's I think it's interesting that they always had that in mind. Um, I kind of wish that they hadn't. I kind of wish it had just been this is Discovery and we don't need Enterprise to establish our Star Trek. I think this is the first time we're at odds about something, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> I, I you know what I think what's how implausible would it be in this time period to never run across the Enterprise? I don't know. I just think that it it would happen at some point. I mean, I don't think they're going to base a whole season off of it, but I think it's nice to see it. Yeah. yeah. If if we see a little bit of it, I'm okay with that. Okay. I just don't want it to overshadow Discovery's story. And I think I hear Stuart trying to chime in. So, <laughs> Captain Foley, please speak your mind. Uh, I was just going to speak on grievances for a second, kind of going back to something that Jeff spoke about, about how the uh, the effects are like movie quality or big screen screen quality. I would have liked to see more of them. I, I, I miss the, sh the starship flybys. I miss the starship in yeah. orbit and hearing the captain's logs, Stardate, you know, and seeing the ship cruising through warp. I mean, we've got a few of those in the last episode, but it seems like a lot of their budget didn't go towards CGI. We didn't see enough mm -hmm. of the ship for me, especially cruising through space. It's always spore jumping or something. Yeah, um, I think that's and, where it went, though. Like, it was, like, between the, the little bit that we did see was, like, really was a lot. I think, I think it all went to J Jason Isaac's paycheck is what I think. <laughs> <laughs> and building the sets. I mean, maybe yeah. we'll see more in season two, but that's one of my biggest beefs because I'm a starship guy. I love the ships and I just yeah. didn't, didn't get that. I, I absolutely get... agree with that. I mean, to the point that even in the finale, when Stamet basically says that they, they cannot, well, they're not going to be using the, the, the spore drive for a while. Just before that, I mean, I wish they'd actually shown Discovery in warp, or at least jumping into warp. Because I don't think we've seen it even once. Once we did, just... when it, oh, it spored into to the sun, and they had to okay. warp out. Oh, that's right. But that's not kind of, that's not the same, you know. But like you said, you know, there are no flybys, there are no... Uh, we do get the, the sort of the, the shot when they kind of close on you know, to the the bridge, but that's not the same thing as the, actually seeing the, the starship flying. Yeah, I, yeah. I chalk it up to the fact that we're in a 15-episode series instead of a 20-whatever-episode series, and it's something that I mentioned before, so I apologize for being a broken record. But 
Um, I think that they're, they're trying to figure out how to best to utilize their time. So when I watch something like the Orville, <laughs> which I watched all of the season. So um, that is one thing that I really actually enjoyed about the Orville is that they had those, those nods and they had the ship and the, you know, looking at the planet. And that was very reminiscent of TNG. Well, that, well, that works in episodic television, but since this is serialized now that, yeah, they have to yeah. call in the story and yeah. it, just, yeah. it, it doesn't work for me. I think overall, and I mean, I, again, I'm a broken record. Um, I think ultimately I just really miss having the, the longer season um, because there's so much more that can be done. And as I said last week, like things like the Harry Mudd episodes and at this point, now that we've seen the whole season, I have a lot more respect for um, Siwis Pacum Parabellum, which was the, the Saru episode, as it was coined. Yeah, with the Pavins. Because, yeah. yeah, with the Pavins, because honestly, um, I feel like, aside from Burnham's journey, I think that we saw so probably the most character development from Saru. Mm -hmm. um, from mm -hmm. being someone who is extremely cautious and afraid, full of fear, to a captain. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, every character evolved in their own way. But seeing mm -hmm. Saru do that, and, and despite the fact that, yeah, we didn't go to the planet and see the Kelpians and learn anything about their species, which is what I thought, like, that's what I'm used to with a, with a character deep dive on Star Trek is, is like a true deep dive. We still got to see what Saru is like when he's not afraid and he's extremely powerful. He, he's the Kelpians are really magnificent beings. So I have more respect for what that brought to Saru's character now but at the same time, I'm like, did we really need that episode or the Harry Mudd episodes? As much as I loved Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd and I love magic to make the Sanus man go mad, I kind mm. of feel like with the with the serialization, like those episodes really work the best when it is episodic. And I get that like they tried to do that, but when you're limited on time, eh. Well, those are the ones that felt most Star Trek to me. And I, yeah. I think yeah. I might go out on a limb here and say I kind of disagree with you guys about Saru. I, I like Saru in the first couple episodes. Um, but then as the season went on, he kind of fell into the background until the last little bit where he came out and, yes, became a captain and gave that, you know, the speech to the crew. That was fantastic. But it yeah. seems like his story arc kind of disappeared in the middle. Like, I, I really like. I really like. That's so fine. I really liked him at first. Um, but again, I think those first two episodes were a misstep. It should have started with Discovery because it was a Discovery show and have those two episodes be flashbacks. So yeah. I, he, he, was the, he was my favorite part of those two episodes with Saru's character. And then he just kind of disappeared for a while. And you, I mean, like I said last week, you can see this, the same of Laurel. Like once Laurel was captured or once she jumped on to Burnham or whoever and then was on the, dis on the Discovery like, we didn't see her through the entire Mirror episode. Like, we saw her a little bit. But, and then, here you go. Here's the Klingon Empire. And, I, again, I just kind of count that up to the fact that we have far less episodes 
than we're used to. And so that's where we lose some of the story. I, uh, I mean, obviously this was the Michael Burnham show <laughs> above anything else. Michael Burnham was a star. Michael Burnham got the most screen time. And this is a really a story about Michael Burnham thinking that she could like the redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Her redemption thinking that she could sacrifice the principles of the Federation for the lives of her crew. And then realizing that was, that was a mistake and that's not what she should have done. And I mean, full respect and props to Sonequa Martin green, who I still think we are, blessed to have her and this entire cast um, be a part of Star Trek. But I feel like we lost so much on character development because of these, you know, the episodes that didn't really focus on stuff or focus on the the main plot. Um, And just because it's less episodes. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe even the, you know, all the episodes that we feel do not really, fit into the whole thing they probably wouldn't have felt as much if we did have 25 26 episodes in a season it would have been just a part of the yeah. usual you're telling yeah. the story and every once in a while you have a little break where it's like yeah it's like eating a salad and you know let's stop and have a candy you know that's yeah. sort of thing the nice thing was that like when magic to make the sanest man go mad aired i i heard from a lot of people like this feels very star trek mm-hmm. yeah. um i i have to admit like i feel like at the end of the day, all of Star Trek Discovery felt very Star Trek to me, but that's because I'm able to kind of root out the where that stuff is. Like even even in the first two episodes, finding quotes from Michael Burnham, finding quotes from um, Danby Connor right before he died, <laughs> saying, <laughs> you know, why are we fighting? We're Starfleet, we're explorers, not soldiers, stuff yeah. like that. And I know that those are kind of tidbits. And I think that for me, one of the the other drawbacks to having episodic Star Trek is that we don't get the extended dialogue that really dives into the morals, like the morality plays that Star Trek is famous for. We don't get a 60 minute episode focused on one moral tale. It's, it's spread throughout the 15 episodes. So it's kind of like, and I, again, I'm so sorry, <laughs> sorry that I said this last week, but like with Saru's speech, um, and what the, se- what was that? The second to last or past his prologue where he united the entire bridge crew and we are Starfleet and all that or whatever. Um, even though it was a great moment, like the speech itself isn't entirely remarkable. And I feel like in some of the more episodic Star Trek, there was an embellishment of, of the light. And this is probably nitpicking, but it's just the, the way that, that things are written. Um, there's a lot more than we got from Discovery. And again, I think it's just the, the, the different amount of episodes and the lack of time to include everything. All right. Well, let's go ahead. Unless anyone had any any more thoughts about this first season, we'll go into play any track. But did anyone well, have anything else? Yes, I do actually. It's something that I'm actually I actually want to ask you a question. How do you feel about the fact that it's very non traditional the way the uh, well the cast is organized? I suppose. I mean, we have technically the person who's the 
the viewpoint of the season, so to speak, of the series, who's, uh, well, she starts out as the first officer, but then she's basically convicted felon and is an unranked crew person for the rest of the season. Yet we don't really know anything about, well, who's the chief medical officer? Who's the chief engineer? Who's the chief pilot? Or rather, we know, I think it's it's the, uh, and I forgot the name, actually, of the character. I apologize. So we, we do have people, but they seem to be so secondary, it's kind of difficult to even remember their names. Ah. But so you don't have a traditional crew breakdown. What do you feel about that? Oh, I waited on this on the last episode, so I'm not going to belabor that point but yeah i took it was an adjustment period for me uh to to see star trek told in a different way uh, and focusing you know on a, a specific character and a couple of other main characters and not necessarily an ensemble crew so um, i'm not going to go into great detail because i've already said all my piece on this so i'll turn the mic over to everybody else yeah how about Stuart? my yeah the thing with about that bridge crew <laughs> Um, I knew I, I knew more and liked um, Lieutenant Hawk from Star Trek: First Contact. I think he was Lieutenant. Yeah, uh, the Hawk yeah. character. Mm-hmm. I knew, learned more about him in the space of that thirty minutes of that movie than I did about most of the bridge crew in that whole series, in the whole uh, season. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just it yeah. it seems off to me. Like he, he did, they didn't even say the characters' names. You'd have to look that up on online to find out who the I'll watch after Trek. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically. No, oh, hey, I'm going to argue with that right now because, sorry, they they do over the course of the series call on every single bridge crew member by their name, with the exception of Ensign Milton Richter or Lieutenant Milton Richter, who was Mr. McDreamy, which was just in the beginning. <laughs> but this is so. This is where I have some difficulty, and this is only because. Like in my real life, I'm a business owner. (laughs) So when I look at my podcasting, even though this is completely 100% volunteer work, um, this is still like my job, right? So if I'm going to do a podcast about Star Trek Discovery, I'm going to make sure that I know everyone's names. So I, I just paid specific attention when those names were announced. And then I went back and like looked on IMDb and remembered their names. But it's really upsetting to me that as, as you mentioned, Stuart, and as Jeff mentioned last week, uh, he was discussing with a friend and saying how difficult it was to remember everyone's names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed this across other podcasts as well. Like, People just don't, and I get okay. Um, oh, Sekon, like she, she's the Nigerian character. I believe she's Nigerian, um, and so it may be difficult to catch her name or whatever. It's hard to pronounce. Okay, but like everyone's name has been said throughout, but probably just once or twice, and it's really. It's really frustrating because I feel like all of those characters have played a part in the show and they shouldn't be people that are forgettable. And I don't think that that Ted Sullivan listens to our podcast, but um, he had specified that it, you know, when Saru did his speech and brought the crew together and all the crew had had a line at least in that episode it was either the second to last or the third to last like that was why like they were bringing all the crew together at that point but then by the finale we have them like with the award ceremony none of them get awards it's mm-hmm. just 
It's just Stamets, Saru, Tilly, and then Burnham. Oh, no, and speech. posthumous Calder. Yeah. There's a there's a publicity photo that has the entire bridge crew each with a medal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so like obviously they all got medals. Yeah. Why weren't they in the <laughs> do, scene? Yeah. Do, do you think it might be some kind of, uh like a little bit of symbolism there? Because Lorca was from the mirror universe and he was focused on his goals. He didn't consider them an ensemble like But that <laughs> like to me, that's not Starfleet. Like No, I... but <laughs> The the reason I was asking this question is that in the beginning when the whole thing was happening and then all of a sudden all these announced names, their characters were just dropping like flies, uh, a la Game of Thrones, I actually found myself a little bit sort of confused trying like, well, who exactly is the core group? You know, you you think back, you know, it's like Mr. Perry set the course, Mr. War fired the torpedoes. You kind of know who's doing what, what exactly. But in this case, it was like, well, okay, I guess Ash, we knew, we knew that he became the security uh, chief. So that, that, but it was explicitly actually stated. So, but then everything else, I'm like, well, um, technically speaking, Stamets is just attached to the sport drive. So who's actually flying the ship? Um, (laughs) that sort of thing so I'm actually curious to see how people relate to that because let me let me tell you the light speed you know the the people who do beautiful artwork they're gonna have a whole lot of trouble making you know well you can do six captains I suppose but then can you really do six chief engineers you know all those wonderful lithographs Mm -hmm. that they do that's gonna be a bit of a problem (laughs) well that being said I mean look at season one as TNG there was no real specific engineer there was a female. Uh, yeah, there was a, a guy right. with the beard. The Argyle, and, then eventually, yeah. and eventually the Forge fell into that role. I mean, yeah. that was in season two or three. I'll just say that this, in my mind, this is the only Star Trek series that requires you to listen that closely for one specific reference to each person. and yeah. Or do additional research to figure out who everyone is. That's that's yeah. my only my objection to it. I'm not downplaying Discovery or, or, or giving it a knock for it, but... Yeah, I, I did have to read into it or watch additional programming after the fact to learn who everyone was because I wasn't perceptive enough to grab everyone's name when it was said. It's just fascinating to me. <laughs> it's so fascinating to me. And I mean, it's it's a little disappointing because it's it's upsetting to know that, that people don't know their names. Um, I know their faces. They, I mean, I can identify right. them by their faces because yeah. I've seen them. I know where they sit right. on the bridge. And I know like, they're, yeah, they're like, there. Like, but Even like Lieutenant, <laughs> Lieutenant Junior J, um, Tracy <laughs> Coco, you know, in TNG, like she was in so many episodes. She never had a line, but you kind of, kind of knew who she was. Um, like overall, I, I think that like it, it doesn't upset me the discovery is doing it this way. I don't mind it at all. Sure, I'd love to know who the chief CMO is. Sure, I'd love to know who the, the chief engineer actually is, but it's that's not really relevant to me. It's more about how they tell the story and who these characters are. I love I love all these characters. So that's not distracting, but for a bridge that they have made a point to 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 be so diverse and representative, which is very much in line with the spirit of Star Trek, it's just extremely frustrating that the general public um, it just doesn't know who they are. Like, well, I hopefully, like, hopefully they will develop them more in the second season where it's actually become. So. That's my hope. Yeah, I hope yeah. so, Marina. But I just don't feel confident that they are because if 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 an executive producer is really going to say like, 
we held back on developing these characters so that we could have this one character moment in one episode of 15 episodes and then completely leave them by the wayside. Like, the, like okay, for the most part, okay, Denver didn't have a huge part in the Mirror Universe, but Osakon did... Um, I, I feel like they got more attention as their evil counterparts. The mirror, that's right. Yeah, yes, exactly. yeah, than they ever did as their Starfleet um, personas. And and that's just frustrating. And I I so much admire the fact that there is such a display of diversity on the bridge, but we don't know who half the people are. Um, but that- again... Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's where the serialized storytelling falls down again, as opposed to episodic. Because a lot of episodic, uh, like you got you got to meet Keiko and her, you know, her having the baby, in an episode of TNG, and you kind of got to know her character a little bit better. And then she's one of the side characters of a side character, um, in TNG, anyways. I mean, she becomes more prevalent in T- Deep, Deep Space Nine, of course. Yeah. But I think episodic storytelling gives you that that chance to tell other people's stories. With the B plot, I mean, there's always the A plot and the B, the B plot, and uh, I think that's where the serialized storytelling, because they're trying to get the full story out there, uh, I think it kind of falls down in that regard again. Yeah, no, I'm I'm totally on totally agree. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and move into play a new track where we explore what we learn that's new about the Star Trek universe. I wanted to return to this question. Admittedly, specifically because people who aren't quite on board with Discovery are questioning what Discovery really brought us um, as far as as learning about the Star Trek universe. So, Stuart, I will go ahead and start with you. What did you learn overall in the season that was new about the Star Trek universe? I learned that Klingons have two peace dreams. That's and honestly, when you were just talking there, this is the question I was dreading because yeah. I didn't learn much new from Discovery. Um, I learned there was a war that never happened, according to the original canon timeline. Um, <laughs> I learned there was a spore drive that never existed. Yeah. Uh, and black badges that we never get explanations for. Yeah. I mean, we do see um, Earth. We see Paris as a very advanced uh, city. I loved seeing that. I love seeing uh, kind of the seedy belly the underbelly of chronos um and even the one thing that i really learned well i'm i didn't learn this from it but i'm glad that they mentioned it is the fact that the klingons have been experimenting with combining humans and klingons because that's a huge part of fasa if you guys remember fasa from the 80s the reason the klingons looked human was because they were genetically engineered that way to be able to infiltrate federation space there were also klingons that looked romulan for the romulan border Yep. Um, and that was just dropped. FASA and Starfleet Battles just kind of fell by the wayside. Um, but those were like my Bible growing up because there was no Star Trek in that time period. Um, so the fact that they mentioned that, I mean, that's awesome. It's a great nod. Uh, other than that, they're building Earth space stock. I saw that. <laughs> Do you um, feel that that was satisfied, though, as far as like Ash Tyler um, and, and that whole genetic manipulation? Like I... I keep waiting for it to all fit together like a perfect puzzle. I think that was one of the storytelling elements that was brought on by Brian Fuller and just kind of they didn't know what to do with it. So they yeah. just, uh, we're going to hurry that along. And it's not really explained. It doesn't make sense for Lorel to 
um, hand the keys over to Ash, so to speak, um, and just leave Vox hard drive in there. Um, <laughs> it, there's got I think there's still a trigger there at some point. Um, but she, she, he did leave with her. So uh, we speculated about this on one of our Trek Yards episodes. Um, the fact that he went with her could really establish the Klingon Empire as a more unified force and develop the Klingon Defense Force and the unified military. Um, and even the reason that the there's the human augment Klingons uh-huh. in TOS, because of Enterprise, we know that there was the augment virus. Um, so I think those are lower class citizens right now. And then you get the Imperial Klingons and then the strange ones we see in Discovery. I think the fact that Laurel and Vok, who's, or Tyler, who's human, I think they're going to unify the Klingons as a people. And those lower class, you know, the augment virus sufferers will be brought to the forefront and be more relevant because of Tyler. Um, there's going to be some unification there as far as the Klingon Empire goes to bring it in line with TOS that we see. Because I would love to see Klingons with hair and smooth-headed Klingons <laughs> at some point in Discovery. That's yeah. what I was expecting since the beginning, and we didn't get it. I know it's tough. It's tough for sure. And for me personally, I don't mind that the Klingons look different. Um, I understand a lot of people are struggling with it, and I think that um, there were a lot. There was a lot of talk about, oh, over the season, we're going to see the different kinds of Klingons, and. <laughs> I think in that finale, there was a Klingon dressed in something that looked uh, motion picture-ish. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there was, yes. But that that doesn't quite, you know, check all the boxes off the list. So someone online got very excited because one of them is like, is that hair? Is that hair on the Klingon? And then it's like a furry stole around the neck, but so it wasn't really hair. And they've they've acknowledged that the NX-01 existed. Uh, Archer was on Kronos. They've established Mm -hmm. that. So that means the augment virus is in their own canon. Um, And so they got to address that at some point, in my opinion. And I think that they will. I do think that... The the questions, okay, I don't know about the black badges, just saying, y'all, that are listed, like writers, <laughs> hello, but um, the, there are definitely some questions that are just totally unanswered and may not ever be answered, but I, I do have faith that these writers are going to address some of the things that, that we question, so I'm hopeful that in the second season we're going to get some more explanation about the Klingons and um the the augment virus and why they look so different, et cetera. Like that's, that's something that I'm certainly hopeful for. Um, Stuart, did you have anything else for play a new track? Um, well, the other thing that I kind of maybe learned was the, going back to the Klingon's appearance again, uh, it could be that they tried to genetically reverse the augment virus and went too far and created a more of a mutation as far as Mm. their appearance goes. But anyway, that's just check out track yard. Some of our episodes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll go off on a total tangent, um, but was it was it really difficult for you with the way that they look to reconcile that? Uh, it was, yeah, because okay. I mean we've had TNG and uh, you know I know they changed them for the motion picture and a lot of people freaked out about that at the time as well. But there's no internet to really you know <laughs> make the problem worse. Um, but no, they've kind of established over 50 years what a Klingon is supposed to look like, and they even explained the human-looking Klingons in TOS. So why drop the ball? And what worries me more than the, the way the Klingons themselves look is their ships. 
That's not a D7, guys. <laughs> I want to see a D7 by the end of the series. I was okay. waiting for you to bring that up, actually. We'll yeah, that's my biggest pet peeve. We'll have to have you back at some point because one of the things that I really, I really value having, you know, different opinions and opposing opinions. And for me, like, I'm not a big Klingon fangirl. Um, I never have really, I love the Klingons, but I've never found them to be the intimidating warrior race that they're supposed to be. So like when I see the JJ Klingons or these discovery Klingons, I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to go pee myself in a corner. (laughs) I don't want to run into them, but I think it's valuable to have discussions, um, with people like you, Stuart, who, who definitely uh, have have an opinion about the way that the Klingon should be. Um, so we'll see if the questions get answered down the road. Um, well, I'd, I'd love to come back and talk about it at some other point. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right, Marina, how about you? What did you learn that was new about the Star Trek universe? Um, well, um, I suppose I could say something that actually Stuart mentioned earlier, the, you know, Klingons getting unified. It's actually the lack of unity in pretty much all the major groups that we see in this time frame. Federation is really not that greatly unified, if you think about it, because Vulcans are still off doing their own thing. Vulcans are not unified because you have these extremist logic groups that bl- try to blow up your ambassadors. Uh, Klingons are most certainly not unified. You have the infighting between all the 24 houses. So it's sort of like this very interesting... You know, there's an unbalance in the force. Um, <laughs> there is an unbalance in the in the Star Trek universe. So it's kind of interesting to see, which which is one of the reasons why I was so frustrating to see basically lack of resolution of the Klingon war. I was hoping to see a yet another act to sort of see how they would wrap up this whole thing between handing the iPad to Rel and actually, okay, the war is over because that that part is completely missing. Um, another thing, I really like the new creatures that were introduced they're sort of yeah. like they're new they're never really we don't really get references to them anywhere else yet they feel very organic uh to star trek so they the gorgamander i thought that was great <laughs> you know the space yeah. whale uh the pavans you know the kelpians and uh, i agree with you heather i would really like to know a little bit more about kelpians because at this point they're sort of like the denobulans all of a sudden you have a new creature a new species out there and we've never encountered them before or i should rather say you know, later, they don't really appear anywhere, obviously, in yeah. the canon as it is. Yeah. So maybe there will be some sort of explanation, you know. He was the first one and then nobody else decided to follow in his suit or something. I don't know. Um, so that's roughly overall thing that, that I've had. I mean, all the little things that kept popping up. Uh, one new thing that I'm not crazy about, and I probably would say that's the only thing. Um, uh, what's What's the word? Uh, art-wise, design-wise, that I don't particularly care for, and that's holographic communication. And I think <laughs> that's something that I mentioned in the very first episode that we've done of the disco track. It just um, falls out. Yeah, uh, that was dumb. Yeah. No, it just it doesn't fit. I can I, I can work into the you know how you fit the uniforms and the look of the Klingons. Actually, uh, I can fit it into my headcanon, so to speak. But the holographic communication, it just that's not how Moore's law of computer you know development works you're not gonna have that here and then nothing like it elsewhere in the universe of star trek so that that was a little bit off um speaking of klingons by the way um i found it far less um i don't know 
kind of I, I I understand where they were coming from, even though a lot of people claim that the creators wanted to redesign uh, such iconic part of Star Trek just for the redesign sake, basically. It did help to have uh, both uh, Neville Page um, and, oh my God, his name. Glenn Hattrick. Glenn Hattrick, Glenn Hattrick yeah. thank you so much. Uh, at SLV last year, because the way they talked about it, the way they explained it, and it was very obvious how into the subject matter they were, it kind of helped to smooth things around. You know, I can see their viewpoint, why they arrived at the look of the Klingons. And like I said, in my head canon, it's just another subset of Klingons. Klingon Empire. You can't have everybody in multitude and hundreds and if not thousands of worlds look the same. But I kind of hope that they will get to the point when they actually show different Klingons in the same room. Because then yeah. it would totally, you know, sort of uh, tie everything together and it will make sense then. Yeah, for sure. Jeff, what about you? What did you learn? I, I know you have a list, apparently. Well, I have a list, but I'm going to save some for another one of our wrap-up <laughs> episodes. Um, as a as a guy who has been very close to the Spock character since childhood, um, and and knowing Spock's struggles as a half human, it was interesting to me to learn from their own mouths what Vulcan society thought of Sarek's quote unquote experiments, um, and and how uh, Spock and Burnham were viewed uh, by the the Vulcans themselves, and uh, I, we only got a little brief glimpse of that in Lethe, but um, that was really impactful to me. Uh, and and I think it really uh, signed off on the struggles that Spock had been going through with his, his half-human side and how uh, difficult it was for him uh, to be accepted. And of course, that also reflects a lot on Sarek's marriage to uh, Amanda, a human woman. So uh, I know that's not the Star Trek universe, but I think as a, as a character development point and for, for both Spock and Burnham and Sarek and Amanda, I think that was significant for me, something that, that I learned. And on another note for a character backstory, we finally get to see Mud's backstory uh, with Stella and uh, her father being the arms dealer and, you know, Mud on the run and running into the hands of the Klingons and getting delivered back to uh, Stella and her father and, um, you know, learning a little bit more about where he came from and, and some of the things that he's been through uh, in his life prior to meeting Captain Kirk in uh, the original series. Let's see. Uh, Discovery having robots that can paint the outside of the ship. I think that's kind of, <laughs> that's <laughs> kind cool, of a cool though. technology. I, I don't know why we don't get that. Well, obviously, um, I don't want to get into a big debate about, um, you know, technology in the real world influencing what they could and couldn't do in Star Trek in previous series. And, and you know, I know we talk about things like, well, you know, holographic communications seem silly, but if we had the technology and the budget available in the 60s, who knows, they might have included that in TOS or in the 80s, they might have included that in TNG. So I'm a little more forgiving about that kind of thing um, than, than some of, but I think I might save some of my other stuff for our next episode or two, <laughs> a few more things that I could bring up. But. <laughs> That's cool. As usual, being like the person that goes last, everybody already brought up my stuff. <laughs> Aww. Um, I think specifically my biggest one was just the introduction of the different aliens, like the corpusculans who we saw in the first episode and never saw again, but they were really awesome looking. So that's okay. And then the gormagander, um, the tardigrade, I'm, I guess we've seen the last of the tardigrade. However, I will continue to sleep with my little baby tardigrade forever because 
so cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, really just the Kelpians. I'm super interested to learn more about them and why we never see them again. Uh, it's one of those things where just like the, the holograms, which uh, Matt Myra, I think, on Engage mentioned the holograms and like, oh, well, it's really it's really crappy uh, technology anyway. Like it's always shorting out and it's stalled and laggy. So it's not very good to begin with, uh, <laughs> which, you know, we'll see. There was a lot of really cool technology like. There was the the breath analyzer entrance that we saw in the very beginning. Yeah, um, never got used again. And um, just just having the spore drive, there are still still questions about that and why that disappeared, along with the holographic um, technology. The uh, just watching things like the, the replicators telling you the nutritional value of everything. <laughs> um, you know, I'm. I don't mind it. I don't mind that stuff so much. And I'm not a canonista. Um, I'm just not a big canon person. To me, Star Trek is not so much about canon as it is about the core concepts of um, compassion and communication. And uh, that, to me, is what, what makes Star Trek. It's the story and the characters and those morals um, that makes Star Trek Star Trek and not not canon, and that's just my personal thing. So stuff like that doesn't really bother bother me as much. But I think that, yeah, overall, it was. I thought the aliens were cool and the technology was cool, and that's about all I got for that. <laughs> I'll come up with some new stuff for our other episodes, but. Um, Let's go ahead and move it into Spin It Again, which is basically our look back at either our favorite or our least favorite moments, characters, scenes from this season. So, Marina, lead us off. Oh, try to choose a favorite moment. I had a lot, actually. Um, and some of them, you know, it's not even necessarily something that was so super cool or funny necessarily. But um, I really enjoyed the whole interaction that Burnham had with Sarek, for instance. So pretty much any time that they had, they were talking. Well, uh, let me qualify that. I enjoyed it when they were actually talking in person. I was not too crazy about the whole distance uh, right. melding of the minds. Uh, it just felt too hokey but uh every time that she was actually talking with him when he was she was trying to save him that 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 was i thought was brilliant um the well tilly oh my god this is the one character that i have to admit i was particularly wary because she was just too too up too too optimistic and maybe because the whole series started out very dark and maybe a little bit too serious. It was jarring because she's actually, she's kind of like Star Trek. She's hopeful. She's optimistic. She's enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. She's all about, you know, going out there and discovering stuff. And maybe that's why it kind of, uh, the whole, the series had to develop and her along with it to, for her to really stand out as that, like, this, she's, she's the one who's representing this whole idea of, you know, Starfleet out there exploring. And um, so she's certainly an MVP of this, of the, at least I'd say later part of the season, because as a comedic uh, relief and both as one of the uh, characters who were moving the story along, she did an, uh, sorry, an amazing job. 
she was kind of awesome. like the tether to the whole idea of hopefulness and excitement of discovery, pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Stuart, what about you? Uh, I absolutely love Lorca. I mean, I know he was a bad guy, but I, I've liked him since the beginning. Uh, him and Stamets, even though Stamets was a bit of a jerk at first as well. I guess I'm drawn <laughs> to that kind of character because it's like me, I guess. Um, so th- I love I love their characters. And anything with Tilly, I really enjoyed Tilly's yeah. character growth in this. Um, the Mud episode stood out to me specifically. Uh, and specifically in that episode, all the deaths of Lorca were pretty fantastically done. That was <laughs> yeah, really, they were. really fun to watch. Um, and speaking of, I'm glad that Landry died in both universes because I hated both versions of her. I thought she was like way nicer in her mirror universe. But, but, but you know what? She's <laughs> really? sort of like she's sort of like the Laurel's appendant arc. You know, it started oh. out with it didn't really make sense, and I was waiting for the explanation why Landry was the way she was, and then boom, she's dead. And then we get to yeah. the mirror version, <laughs> who's not really mirror enough. And then nothing happens there no. at all either. She's like so, the same character in both. She wanted to kill Stamets. Smiling <laughs> as the mirror persona. So well, I don't know. That was. The, <laughs> I'm just I glad know. I got to see her die twice because I couldn't stand her. I thought um, she was like way nicer as the mirror <laughs> counterpart. I was like, oh, I'd be her friends. <laughs> um. One thing I really hated uh, was the Klingon ships. Um, yeah. Like I said, we're, sh- we're ship guys over on Trek Yards, and that just yeah. doesn't fit at all. Birds of Prey or D7s. Have you reached and then out lastly, to them at all? Like, have you reached out to anyone on the show about it? Oh, yeah. We have like the we have designers on the show all the time that have worked on, the sh- on different Star yeah. Treks. Um, and uh, John Eve, specifically, who worked on Discovery, yeah. uh, he was... They're, they were mandated by the producers to have something right. that looked different, um, unfortunately. Right. So No, you know what? Um, no, okay. Yes, yes, unfortunately, on the part of fans like you who have difficulty with it. But I think that it's it's a point I've been making along the way of watching Discovery is that it's it's not just us. Like, there are bigger hands at play in the mm-hmm. game here. So I think that's a very important fact to point out that the that it's the higher-ups that, that wanted something different. Yeah, yeah. And the last thing for me that I really enjoyed in this uh, whole thing was that last scene with the Enterprise. Like I said, TV doesn't move me very much, but there were a few moments in Discovery that absolutely dropped my jaw, specifically the death of Hugh. I didn't uh, expect that. Uh, uh, that yes. got uh, me off the couch. That never happens. But seeing that Enterprise come in, uh, like I said, they got the goosebumps and the the eyes welled up a little bit, and it's like the music was perfect, and it's like, oh, that's such a beautiful ship. Uh, so that would have to be my pinnacle of the series is seeing the Enterprise, and okay. uh, yeah, that's about it. All right, Jeff, what about you? Well, as a guy who loves social commentary in Star Trek, I think the most poignant uh, reference to our own world. Is was the teachings of Kalis being used in opposite ways between the Prime and Mirror universes. I, I thought that the fact they were using the teachings of Kalis to wage war in the Prime universe versus uh, the teachings of Kalis to try to bring peace in the Mirror universe speaks volumes to religious teachings throughout history and our own world uh, being used to elevate and oppress uh, at the same time. So... Um, you know, that's a pretty heavy topic. I don't know if we want to really <laughs> I say I sound all childish now. Too much mine. into that, Thanks. but <laughs> that really, really stuck out to me as one of my big takeaways as a social commentary from Discovery. 
let's see. I think we talked about a couple of the other things already. So I'm kind of picking and choosing through. Um, you know, something that I started to call into question after seeing, um, you know, Lorca being finally exposed as, you know, mirror Lorca the whole time, kind of the Scooby-Doo mask getting pulled off. Um, you know, I kind of reflected back on uh, his backstory as told by Harry Mudd and, you know, killing his crew rather than letting the Klingons capture them. Can we look at that story in a different light now that we know that he was Terran Lorca the whole time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it seems out of character for a Starfleet captain, but seems totally in character for a Terran captain. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. So that was another standout moment that only came out you know, after we got a reveal later uh, in the series. Um, and I think another big takeaway for me was, uh, you know, Starfleet during a time of war is quite different than peacetime Starfleet. You know, looking back on their position on, on leaving the Pavans defenseless uh, towards the Klingons to preserve discovery and more recently their willingness to destroy the Klingon homeworld. I think, you know, we can probably argue both of those issues from either side, but I thought it was interesting that they kind of painted Starfleet in wartime uh, in, in that light twice in Discovery, uh, kind of like they did during Into Darkness, that the whole wartime Starfleet being a lot different than what we expect from them or what we've come to know of Starfleet. Uh, it's a different way of looking at things for me. Yeah, I think that a lot of people have really struggled with a, the darker overtone of Discovery and the fact that Discovery is really an example of getting to that utopian uh, Federation idealism versus already being there. And Exactly, yeah. For me, personally, um, I started off... I mean, I, I don't know. I... I'm an optimist by and by, and that's that's a big part of why I'm a Star Trek fan and a big part of just, just why Star Trek, Star Trek resonates with me so well is that despite having a history of depression and hardship in my life, I still, I still am an optimist somehow, um, and I'm incredibly grateful for for being able to be an optimist because it's not something that's, that's easy for everyone. Um, and uh, discovery, like I said, um, it, it started when it started, like I felt like, you know, everything was okay in my personal life. <laughs> um, and, and my personal life has kind of led this disjointed story alongside discovery as it's gone on. And we went through the the dark part where I think a lot of a lot of people just continued to struggle because it wasn't it wasn't an easy episode every week wrapped up with a moral story and a sense of optimism. But being being the person that I am, I will dig deep. I will find the optimism. I will find that element of Star Trek in every episode that's there. Um, and it's something I've done on Twitter where I've posted like the quotes and I've done it here. When I started this season, life was okay. Life got really tough and life is still kind of tough, but at the end of the day, it's actually gotten a lot better for me despite being tough. And as I've gone through the season, I have looked specifically at each character and 
initially I felt that Michael Burnham resonated with me more than any other character in, in Star Trek history, which is a lot to say. Um, and, and that comes down to being a person who is extremely emotional, but who is at war with logic and, you know, when, when should you slow down and take a, a logical approach to something versus an a, extremely emotional approach? Um, as the season's gone on and as my personal life struggles have developed, I've actually been able to sympathize with every character and connect with every character. And so that's part of where when I started off, I just, I couldn't connect with Saru. I couldn't imagine living a life where you're in fear every day. And then my life took a very strange turn where I wound up being in fear of my safety every single day. And so I was able to better connect with characters like Saru and, and to even embrace um, the courage that he has shown us through this, the second half of the season, especially. And it's an uncanny thing. I've, I've not ever connected to every character in a Star Trek series as I have with Discovery. And just the fact that it's been the, the background noise to my life during this time um, has been... Uh, an empowering and emotional thing for me. So I think at the end of the day, and I haven't watched like Sonequa Martin's Green, Sonequa Martin Green's history of, of acting aside from The Walking Dead, but um, her acting as Michael Burnham and Discovery, I think is just phenomenal. And after watching Shape of Water, and Hellboy and everything else Doug Jones has been in. Like we're we're just we're so blessed with this cast. I think that for a first season of Star Trek, this cast is is not only does it meet the expectations of other casts, for me it probably exceeds them somewhat. I think that the acting in an in and of itself has made up for the lack of storyline um, or the disappointing storyline that I found throughout the season, but it's something that I'll probably have to like flesh out and like write a journal entry or something to, to really talk about in depth. But for me, um, I think above anything was the fact that we finally have gay representation in Star Trek and I can, talk as much as I have about how unhappy I am with the death of Colbert, but listening to Anthony Rapp on Engage, there, there's definitely more coming, and I'm still skeptical about how it's going to be redeemed, but um, as a queer person, like to actually have had a, a gay couple on Star Trek with no no I don't want to say whitewashing, but basically the equivalent, like gay washing, like justifying the relationship so that somehow, oh no, it's not actually gay. Like it was actually heterosexual to begin with. There's none of that. It's just like we're queer people and we're on Star Trek. Um, that for me has been a, a quintessential moment of this season. And I look forward to seeing more 
um, next season. And I hope that I hope that the difficulties that I've expressed in this first season have, um, are somehow redeemed. Um, but regardless, like that representation is finally there. So I'm really proud of that. And I think that, again, despite some of the hangups that I have that I'll talk about more when we do our character deep dives, um, I think it's been a, a pretty strong season, first season of Star Trek. So I'm curious, because for me, I think that across the board, like I've never sat in front of a TV and been on the edge of my seat or like like frantically groping the person next to me, like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Like I've never watched Star Trek that way. And, you know, for some people, they, they may not want to watch Star Trek that way. They want to, they just want to sit and contemplate or something. But I'm curious, like on a scale across the board of Star Trek seasons, how you think Discovery did compared to others. So, Stuart, what do you feel? Was this a strong season for Discovery? Does it live up to the other first seasons? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think it's definitely the best season of Discovery we've got so far. <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as standing up against the other ones... Um, I would say it's probably because of the the overized over the serialized arc. I think it was probably one of the stronger ones. I mean, it's hard to judge it without seeing any other discovery so far, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But compared to Deep Space Nine, which was awful for season, same with TNG. TOS was just TOS. Was, you know, <laughs> it was just a new show. Um, but Enterprise was really good as far as kind of having a cohesive story and actually referencing what happened the week before or a month before in mm-hmm. that first season. Um, uh, I'd have to probably give it a B minus or a C. Okay. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally, but totally I, okay. But I would say Enterprise is a better first season. Okay, for sure. Marina, what about you? Um. Well, I can assign a grade to it. And for me, it's probably actually in the B-plus area. Okay. But I would not actually rank it. <laughs> no, <laughs> some of our fellow friends <laughs> and friends like to rank things in Star Trek, but because I don't feel it's very fair comparison. Uh, each track had its own thing. I mean, how can you compare something to the original series if it was the original series? That was the first thing out there. That's yeah. the whole thing that started everything. You can't really compare. And then all five preceding series and now we're talking almost well when when did 2004 2005 that enterprise ended we have over a decade more in terms of you know, visual effects technology the budgets the mm-hmm. manner of broadcasting we're talking about the streaming series it, it's a thing apart you're really comparing oranges and apples so um i overall you well i already stated my opinion i thought it was a very solid first season for a, any kind of series that's just starting out uh comparing it to other tracks is not very fair but uh so b plus okay plus, i can't wait to see what they're gonna do next awesome all right jeff F. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I agree with everyone else. It, it's it's really D for hard. discovery. It, nice. <laughs> it's really hard to compare because it really, like Marina said, it really is an apples and oranges comparison because this literally is the first Trek series to be done in this format uh, for a season. So uh, it's the first non-episodic Trek 
And I think I gave it a B minus on our last, uh, or B or B minus on our last uh, disco track. And I, I'm going to stick with that. Uh, I mostly, like I said, I'm, overall, I'm happy with it. And, you know, it's darker than I would have wanted. And I, I don't necessarily think I can totally compare it to uh, other season ones in, in the Trek uh, universe that I, I'm very fond of. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's tough for me. And I guess... Like Stuart said, we'll we'll wait for season two, and then see how that compares. Then maybe it's maybe more for a fair comparison with with previous Trek. All right, kids, I will stand alone. <laughs> I I think this was an incredibly strong season for a first season of Star Trek. Um, again, <laughs> I have voiced through these episodes what what my qualms are. And I think that the last two season, two episodes of this season could have been a lot better. Um, I think Pastor's Prologue is probably my favorite episode from this series. But as far as making a compelling, interesting, strong season of Star Trek, I'm on board. I think it was a really great debut for a series. Um, I'm hooked. I, I'm not going to go get, a, you know, Discovery is my Star Trek tattoo or anything. Like, I am I am fully, I want to see the second season. And I am, I still have minor hesitations in saying that, that Discovery is my Star Trek because it's a, DS9 is a tough competitor. But again, there's just personal reasons that that I gravitate towards Discovery and the fact that I see myself in a lot of these characters and connect that way. I, I'd probably be in the same camp, giving it like a B overall. Um, there's a lot that I think it fell short on. There's a lot that I think it fell into, <laughs> sadly, old stereotypes of Star Trek history, um, falling short on certain things like carrying through conversations about what sexual assault is, what PTSD is. And we'll leave the whole very barrier gaze trope for another time. <laughs> but um, overall, I thought it was pretty good. I thought, I think that the acting, the acting really set it apart. And I, I respect the writers for, for what they've done, what what they've done, what they attempted to do, and again, at the end of the day, I, I really do think that they they do respect what's there, and I think that it's important for us as fans to realize it's not just the writers, it's not just the actors. Like there are more, there's more than that involved in in creating this overall. So if you're gonna lash out because you're upset about something, don't just direct it towards the writers or actors. In fact, don't tag anybody on Twitter, please. <laughs> um, you know, Heather, here's another another interesting thing that just popped into my mind. Speaking, we we're talking about comparisons with the Trek series, but you know what? This is a modern television show that is coming out uh, in in the era of you know big epic arc uh, episodic TV shows. How do we think this compares with the other big names like Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Stranger Things? Does Discovery stack up well against those other modern popular shows? Is it is it enough to bring in a new audience against those other shows? 
I think because it's on CBS All Access, it has no competition with things like Westworld or Game of Thrones, frankly. Well, we need to subscribe to multiple services, and that's what they're <laughs> trying to get us to do, right? So yeah, can it, well, can it be good whole, enough to do that? That's a whole other episode. Um, I don't think that the writing and cohesiveness of the story is on the same level as something like Game of Thrones or Westworld. Or Stranger uh, Things. Well, let's do a Stranger Things podcast. I, <laughs> I, uh, I love the uh, the tangents tangent. I love the first season of Stranger Things. I thought the second season was not as good. I still liked it, but I. Okay, here's the question that I ask: um, Do I regret spending ten dollars a month on CBS All Access for four episodes a week? The question is no. I think that. Um, my my investment paid off as far as quality of entertainment, um, and if I was not the the person that I am, I may be able to look past a lot of the qualms that I had because they're very specific to my life and life experiences. But for me, I'm glad that the budget allowed for the quality of what we saw but at the end of the day i really wish that this discovery had not been behind a paywall and had been available for the general public and uh it's been difficult um i i as i said earlier like i i very much consider this podcast um an unpaid job so you know star trek is a passion for me it's it's a incremental part of my life it's it's just who i am but um hearing different people struggle with it and and knowing that for a lot of families they don't feel that this is a star trek they can let their children watch and then so we mentioned this in our patreon <laughs> segment well, not our patreon segment but in part of our unedited version we were talking a little bit about the profanity used in discovery because obviously we don't use profanity in this podcast and um despite the mature audience rating i i think it's worthwhile to point out that there were at least I counted three occasions of profanity across 15 episodes, which is pretty minor. And there was uh, Laurel's boobs, which is completely unnecessary. And then whether you count Orion slave man and woman, butt as, uh, <laughs> as a mature audience is up to you. And the worst of the words was the F word. And, you know, we can talk about that all day. I don't think that it was, it wasn't used in an offensive manner, right? It was Tilly being Tilly. And to be fair, Tilly said two of the bad words this season and Burnham said one. So there was, there was very minor profanity and minor nudity to justify this mature audience rating. My issue would be with the fact of how they used um, the nudity, especially with Laurel. Like, I want a Star Trek that kids can watch. I didn't grow up watching Star Trek as a child, but I have many friends who did. And I, 
it's frustrating that friends of mine today feel like they can't watch this with their children. I'm, I'll throw out too, and, and I'm the, I may be the odd man out here and I, I may be the old man, but the, um, I just think the normalization of extreme violence too. I'm just, there's just so much of it on television and in movies nowadays. It just, I, you know, it's, it has never really been a part of Star Trek before necessarily a televised Star Trek. I mean, we've seen some fisticuffs and things and people getting, you know, phasered, but I think the level of violence in discovery is far beyond what we've seen in televised Star Trek before. But like, what's the worst example of violence from this season? Oh my God. There's, I mean, the, the brutalization, um, you know, slashing with, with knives and, you know, and eating people, <laughs> killing on eating people. Well, but I mean, we've seen some, like that same stuff was in TOS, just not with blood. Like there was still, like there was a whole, you know, Jack, the whole Jack the Ripper episode. Like that, that violence has been there. I think like for mm, me, it's, it's not as visceral. I don't think. Yeah, well, no, I would, that's that what was... I would say is like, like the, in the, um, that's the second episode, I believe. Right. No, well, the third, third, uh, the whole thing on USS Glenn, that's basically right. horror. Right. That's, uh, that's what I was thinking of. Like it's seeing... probably something that you would not show a five-year-old child. Yeah, and I'm I don't I don't know or I think three of us are not parents. I don't know, Stuart, are you a parent? <laughs> I have four children, yes. Okay, so please chime in. How do you feel about sharing discovery with your kids? Uh, well, the older ones don't like Star Trek cuz I guess I drowned them in it when I was when we were younger. <laughs> um, but the youngest one who's now 13, he really enjoyed the series and I let him watch it and uh, I really didn't find anything that off-putting for my, myself personally. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I agree that, you know, it should be a little bit more accessible to younger uh, audiences as, you know, they, I remember watching Star Trek as a kid and I, that's one of the yeah. reasons I have a Trek Yards podcast now. I mean, or a web, web series. It's just something I love and it's, I wish that, it could be accessible to a few more people. And again, it goes back to that paywall as well. Yeah. If you had, if your children were younger, like six to eight, would you still have let them watch it? Um, if they were with me, maybe, cause I would explain kind of what's going on and that right. it's fake, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of tricky. I'm not a hundred percent sure I would. It's tough. I mean, the so the scene where where we saw the the sexual assault in air quotes of Ash Tyler where we saw Lorel's boobs like I mean that that was really quick so at the end of the day was that a big deal and not really um, the torture was kind of scary so I can see a lot of the darker parts of Discovery being scary for a, a small child. Um, that being said, we saw torture in TNG with. There are four lights, right? Oh my God! Yeah, I right. can't. I don't Jordy think I would have tortured. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I don't think I yeah. could have let a child watch Chain of Command. Um, yeah, that one I, bothered me. When I <laughs> think does. like it's it's one of the things that I think we'll talk about in more depth when we talk about the character of Ash Tyler and Vogue. But um, the torture scenes. <laughs> so I I wound up watching a 
slowed down version of the torture scenes from whatever episode it was that those first appeared. And the holy cow was that intense. Like, I'm glad. Like, it, it would have been extremely impacting had they, they showed the, the slow-mo version because it's, it's horrific. Um, but, you know, for me, I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre at a babysitter's when I was like five. And <laughs> I was scarred for life. <laughs> I had the same experience. I was really young and I wound up having to watch Alien, the original Alien, and I was terrified. <laughs> I've never been able to recover yeah. from that. I would ask my mom if, if chainsaws could go through brick because we had a brick house. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's certain scenes are certainly impactful and it also depends on the child and what they're experiencing. But it's it's one thing that I've really taken from listening to friends on other podcasts. And, you know, I know so many people like Jeff who, you know, watched Star Trek with his uncle um, or just other friends who started watching Trek as a child, as a young person with a family member. And 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 that's one thing that's difficult for me. Well, I well. As a non-parent, I can say, okay, well, the profanity wasn't that bad. The nudity really wasn't that bad. But the overall tone of discovery is still pretty dark. And that can be impactful for a child's psyche. Um, I think considering the age we live in with the internet, too, they probably see worse yeah. things on their friends' oh, yeah. phones. I believe it. You know what? So. As a as a as a guy who watched TOS as a as a relatively young child, I can't think of anything that I saw on that show that traumatized me so much that I still have any issues with it today. Really, like you, you didn't see the Anna... episode Spock's brain? That was awful. <laughs> that was not was traumatizing at all. Anna, I think Anna the only joy is a cake. So the first episode that I ever saw, and I'm not going to go deep into this, was Devil in the Dark, and it is now my favorite episode of Star Trek. Period. And yeah. it scared me a little bit as a kid, but it wasn't so terrifying that it, it was something that I am traumatized by or look back on and like, wow, why did they let me watch that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in today's day and age, like we've got sex and nudity and violence and graphic language on regular TV. So it's it's definitely a very different time than it was when something like TOS or even TNG, you know, came on. It's yeah, it's tough. But again, like I I have friends with children and I have friends who are adults and who still say that like discovery gives them so much anxiety <laughs> because it's just it's it's it's, it's a darker version um, and I've been the one the whole season that's been like, but you can find the hope and optimism. <laughs> it's there. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting time. I'm curious in 10 years when we, when we revisit this history of discovery, mm. much like TNG and all the other iterations of Star Trek, um, where we'll be. So we're getting pretty close to time. It's about time to wrap things up. So any final thoughts, Stuart, on this first season of Star Trek Discovery? Um, <clears throat> I need to go back and rewatch it all again. Uh, to, well, like I said, I've watched each episode a few times uh, because we do reviews of them on our channel. But uh, I need to go watch it again and kind of get 
you know, those little tidbits that it's like watching the sixth sense again, you know, knowing yeah. what happens, you get to see the clues. Uh, so I wouldn't, wouldn't mind going back and, uh, hopefully season two is a little more coherent. Hopefully they start with, uh, a plan from the beginning and not work in reverse. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's all my, that's all I took away from it is it was kind of a botched season because they kind of hit some production problems early on. And, uh, I think it shows unfortunately, but overall it's good to have Star Trek back. Um, and I'm just looking forward to more. Awesome. I, I just, I really appreciate that. We, we try really hard on Disco Trek and, and the Tricorder Transmissions Network in general to, to be positive at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So it's, I love, I love having a conversation that is critical, um, but still values the fact that, Hey, we have Star Trek. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it could well, be worse guys, right? We see, yeah, we see a lot of negativity in our comments, uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube, unfortunately. Oh. So we deal with that all the time. So yeah, I prefer the positivity as well. YouTube is the worst and half of them are bots. So I hope you can just like dust that dirt off your shoulder. It's difficult, but it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. We have, we're on YouTube as well. Um, and I get, between Twitter and Facebook and some of the stuff we do, it's it's a difficult thing um, for sure. So, Marina, what about you? Any last thoughts? Um, not not really. I mean, pretty much everything that I wanted to say, I did say. Um, for the show, that's you know very non-formulaic, non-standard in terms of the way the cast is set up, etc. Something that we already discussed. Something that started out dark. I was worried in the beginning that the show would be taking itself too seriously. And even though I do agree that we have we don't have complete coherence throughout the entire season, nevertheless, I thought, I'm going to repeat something that I said in the beginning, I thought it was solid cinematic science fiction overall. They did a very yeah. good job as of first season. So we'll see what the, you know, what the second season will bring us. Hopefully we'll have more character development. And frankly, you know, at this point, Burnham is really blank slate. She's back to where yeah. she started. Who knows what the next adventure will be. All right. San and Gorn, what about you? Don't have much more to add than what I've already said. I'm looking forward to season two. And uh, overall, season one is, is still a positive for me, despite, mm-hmm. you know, whatever gripes I, I may have uh, displayed on this episode or the previous one. It's been a really interesting journey um, being a podcaster, starting off with just, you know, the enthusiasm of, oh, my God, Star Trek. Like we have Star Trek on TV. And then like, what? Those are the Klingons um, going through the, the motions of what it is to watch Star Trek in this day and age with social media. It's It's been quite an adventure. Um and we're still going to talk again about <laughs> the season. So, again, I, I don't want to say too, too much. But I I think at the end of the day, I'll just reiterate the fact that I think while the season wasn't perfect by any means, we still have people that care about Star Trek involved, whether mm-hmm. it is, you know, Sonequa or Ted Sullivan, um, between actors, writers, and producers on the show, it's obvious to me that they do care about Star Trek and not just, you know, fitting into 
canon <laughs> the best way that they can. Um, they get that it's not it's not just TV. Like it's a legacy, and that's something that Sonequa Martin Green mentioned um, and engage, and the fact that it's not just a TV show. It's not just something with 51 years of history behind it. It is a franchise that has truly become a legacy. And for me, although I may give the Enterprise a little bit of side eye <laughs> while, while also looking at it with heart eyes, I'm really... I'm really proud of, of what they did. Like for a first season of Star Trek with as much turmoil as went on with Brian Fuller leaving and having to kind of make do with what they had and everything else. Um, I think they really did a good job. And I think that, oh, this is going to be really bad. <laughs> so Anthony Rapp tweeted um, a picture that's been going around of the Discovery cast. And it's a great picture. They're all in their uniforms. Uh, and he said something about it being the best Star Trek cast ever. And it was totally just about, you know, being in the moment. And I think that as fans, you know, we recognize that Star Trek is a family. Like it's, it's that legacy has grown so much beyond a TV show that, for us, yeah, we watch Star Trek and yeah, we're watching Discovery and we're doing a podcast every week. But I think at least for Jeff and I, when we get to STLV and we're with our Trek family, like that's what Star Trek is about for us. It's about bringing community together, focusing on this ideology of a better future and, and being the torchbearers for that future. Uh -huh. And I think that this cast really gets it they they signed on to do a job like we we do need to recognize that this is this is their job like we're the passionate ravenous fans this is their job so while they are actors just as with everyone else um this is what they do for work but i can tell from interviews with people like Sinequa and anthony um that they truly understand that this is so much more and the fact that they get why we love Star Trek and why this is such a powerful thing and want to do their best to adhere to that vision uh, really kind of brings it home for me and helps me have faith in the future of Discovery that, okay, so maybe some questions didn't get answered. Maybe we were let down in places, but as Star Trek teaches us, like, there's still faith and hope for season two. So I'm going to be a wackadoo and just be a little miss optimistic Heather and hope that we get some answers in season two. And in the meantime, we're going to continue to talk about discovery and talk about all the, the great positive things uh, that we found from this episode and these characters and, and see what happens. So I guess to lead us on out, we always try to let people know how to contact us on social media should we continue the conversation. Um, so, Marina, how can we find you on social media? 
Um, I am mostly on Facebook, almost exclusively actually at this point. Uh, so just my full name, that's going to be my account. And I'm in, in, well, more than one Star Trek group, so it should be easy <laughs> enough to find. Uh, my, my account is locked down, so if somebody wants to reach out, you know, send out the message. And usually people do that through groups. Hopefully, you know, people will let me know because sometimes I just get messages weeks afterwards because Facebook yeah. puts them in the other folder. Um, I'm also on Twitter uh, and I do try to keep up with the account, you know, try to post a little bit or, I don't know, repost something interesting. Uh, the handle is uh, at Dracorex, D-R-A-K-K-O-R-E-X. Um, probably the easiest way because it, it's not a private account, so anybody can just, um, I don't know, comment at me, post at me, whatever, um, on Twitter. And uh, that's basically it. So Facebook and Twitter. Okay. And then, Stuart, what about you? Well, uh, of course, YouTube. Just type in Trek Yards, all one word. And uh, we've got over 300 videos. Uh, if you like ships and, and tech, check it out. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or visit trekyards.com. Uh, all those, we have accounts for all those. And, uh, or you can look up Captain Foley on uh, Twitter and Facebook as well, and you'll find me very easily. Okay, so Jeff, how can we find you? Well, as always, I'm Warp Factor Jeff on Twitter, and you can find me and our other wonderful admins of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas Convention Group on Facebook, yourself, Heather, and the wonderful Jesse Akendo. And we would love for you guys to join up and uh, talk Star Trek Discovery with us. Okay, I am LLA Posper, which is L-L-A-P-A-W-S-P-E-R on Twitter. The show is Disco underscore Trek, and we are at Tricorder Show for the network. And as Jeff said, you can find us in the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. Make sure to answer the questions when you join and let us know that you found us via Disco Trek because I will let you write in if you do that. <laughs> um, otherwise, we are the tricordertransmissions.com. And I think we have a final message from our good friend Rick over at Starbase 66. We certainly do. We're going to play that right now. Hey, Heather and Jeff, Rick Tatro here from Starbase 66. Congratulations on a fantastic season of disco trek i've enjoyed every episode uh and now that the show uh discovery is over for a while and we can all take a breath and relax and and sort of settle back i wanted to send a, a comment to y'all uh on your last episode about uh will you take my hand um one of your guests was objecting to all the quote-unquote fan service in the last episode now there was plenty to grouse about that episode we did so on our own show um it was not as strong as it could have been uh you know the saving grace being the last two minutes which was just tears of joy <laughs> but um i in my view of the term fan service that would be things that interfere with the story that are just there strictly to pander to the fans and i don't think any of the the stuff in um in the last episode fell into that category uh because it all it all sort of seamlessly fit into the narrative so I've, i thought of it more like easter eggs or little gifts to us the fans um because it's not like walking past a pan of seti eels is gonna you know it could have been anything in that pan so 
you know, I've watched shows, especially like Marvel movies, because I don't watch, I don't read comics. So I can, there's a lot of times when I'm like, I'll bet this is an in-joke that every comic book person in the in the theater is laughing their butts off at, but I don't get it. I don't think any of that was the problem, was, was happening in this episode. I don't think not knowing who Clint Howard would was would make a difference in that scene. I don't think not knowing who this, what the SETI eels were or bread and circuses, uh, you know, or any of the other things, um, you know, of all of the problems the episode had, that wasn't one of them in my opinion. Anyway, just thought I'd chime in. Uh, can't wait to hear your wrap ups and anything else you guys do. You know, I love your shows and I'll talk to y'all real soon. I hope and live long and prosper. That was awesome. Aww. Thanks, little Rick. Heart. There's like little hearts. Like it's like the Snapchat <laughs> filter with little hearts everywhere, except they're little Star Trek cans. Um, <laughs> it, one of the things, you know, I st- Star Trek is a personal thing. Star Trek is personal for all of us, and our experience with watching Discovery is varied across the board. Um, and and I just want to say that all of those responses are valid, whether you like like Discovery or not. Um, none of those define whether you are or are not a Star Trek fan. <laughs> like, if you like Star Trek, you're a Star Trek fan. Congratulations, welcome to the family. Um, you don't have to like all of it. You can like one of it. You can like the books and not even like the TV shows. That that. That's a Star Trek fan. Agreed. It's one of the best things about Star Trek, Heather, is that you can buy in at pretty much any level. You can be a surface fan who just enjoys it for what it is. You can dig a little bit deeper. You could be a super fan. You could be a super canon fan. You could be any level of fan, and you're still part of the family. You can. I will I will end this show with this, along the lines of, you know, Talking about like what is fan service, what isn't fan service, how people interpret that. Um, you know, like I just said, we're big proponents of of the fact that okay, number one, like Star Trek Discovery is Star Trek. Like that's not debatable. Like it's made by CBS, so sorry guys, but it's Star Trek. Whether or not you personally believe it fits into Star Trek is up to you. That's your opinion. And just because you don't like Discovery doesn't mean you're not a Star Trek fan. But it is my personal belief that as Star Trek fans, we should be torchbearers, not gatekeepers. And I got a little bit of flack after I tweeted that this week because in saying of what Star Trek fans should be. And basically all I'm saying is that I feel that Star Trek fans should welcome more Star Trek fans. That's it. You can you can be a Star Trek fan and the only thing you like about Star Trek is Deep Space Nine. You can be a Star Trek fan and the only thing you like about Star Trek is Star Trek Online. You play the game. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's no definition of a Star Trek fan other than you love Star Trek in some way. And you don't have to love Discovery. You don't have to like Discovery. And quite frankly, I I would love to get some feedback or have someone as a guest who doesn't like Discovery because I think there is opportunity to have a valid, constructive conversation about what we like and what we don't like. Um, just as we've talked about the Klingons here tonight, not everybody loves them. Not everybody loves the ships. But at the end of the day, 
I just want our Star Trek family to grow. I want to see more Star Trek in this world. And, you know, for someone like me, okay, I enjoy Discovery. For someone else, they may not like Discovery. But look, the JJ movies basically helped pave the way to Discovery. And Discovery is going to help pave the way to more Star Trek. So the more Star Trek we have, the better. And for me, even if someone watches Discovery and hates Discovery, but starts watching TOS because of that, like then we get more Star Trek fandom and family. And that's what the root of Star Trek is to me. So on that note, I would just like to say that being a torchbearer is nothing more than saying, let's bring new fans into our family and continue to keep Star Trek alive. So live long and prosper. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about more discovery and we will keep you going until 2019. So thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Marina, for coming back. Thanks to my buddy, Santa Gorn, Jeff. And we'll see you next week. Live long and prosper. Oh, live long and prosper, and long live the empire. <laughs> live long and perspire, everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Woo!